0: This is the 10th, right?
1: you. I do <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, well maybe if you want to do AJ work at some point. You got you got the voice for it. I think you can pull it
3: off.
2: Yeah, these up near the sir. I would
0: morning everyone let's go over a couple of announcements by the way how do you like this weather we're having we're kind of like feel like we're kind of in neutral we can't get it in gear and get out of this wet so but this is the day that the lord has made and it is for our, our benefit and for his glory Not a whole lot going on in in the announcements, the usual stuff. Uh, Contact number with uh, Andrea. Our days of praise and acts and facts are still out there and uh, pick those up at your will. Uh, You've noticed, I guess by now, the progress on the portico. Uh, Chris has gotten uh, the majority of the roof up. He's got a little bit more to do for the transition piece. And then uh, by the end of the week, he'll be ordering the steel for the for the roof itself, the finishing roof. And uh with all uh things considered, he should have that steel up probably in in 2 weeks tops. So we're we're grateful for his uh stick-to-itiveness in this and uh, obviously you can tell this isn't his first rodeo, so he's uh has all of my confidence to be sure as a contractor, and uh, grateful for his uh, service there. Our video series is continuing tonight at six p.m. Bring the finger foods, and a dish to pass. <laughs> and it's Jared. It's still on uh, the same topic of of uh, two weeks ago. validity of the Bible pretty interesting okay let's go for a scripture of meditation and that's taken from the book of Psalm chapter 103 page 993 in your pew Bible Would you stand with us as we begin worship, morning prayer. Before we begin, if you'll indulge me just a brief moment. Uh, one thing stuck out in the Psalm 103 this morning that just kind of grabbed me. It's verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according our iniquities I don't know about you folks but that that is a great sense of solace and comfort to me so George would you please lead us in opening prayer
4: Father we do thank you this morning for the privilege of being able to gather in your name We praise you, Father, for all that you've provided and give to us as your saints. We do ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon the people and the place and the pastor as he prepares even now, uh, to teach us from the scriptures. Lord, we, we pray that we may be wise in the things that we read and to contemplate and to appreciate what you are telling us. Uh, we thank you Lord that we have a God who is so faithful. And we ask that you would increase our understanding of your person as well as the things your word declares to us. After all Lord, it is your way and your will to teach us how to live righteously in this world and we ask, Lord, today, that you would bless our time in your house. In Christ's
0: name, we ask this. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Please remain standing.
5: You take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number seventeen. Number seventeen in the brown. <coughs>
0: Scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. That'll be page 28 in your Pew Bible.
1: Verse 20 starting with verse 1. I mean chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clear hands, clean hands. Sorry. then God said to him in a dream yes I know you did this with a clear conscience and so I have kept you from sinning against me that is why I did not let you touch her now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live but if you do not return her you may be sure that you and all of yours will die Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason? for doing this. Abraham replied, I said to myself there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife besides she is really pardon me besides she really is my sister the daughter of my father though not of my mother and she became my wife and when God had God had me wander from my father's household I said to her this is how you can show your love to me everywhere we go say of me he is my brother then Abraham brought, the sh- brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and he returned Sarah his wife to him <coughs> and Abimelech said my land is before you live wherever you like To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech his wife and his slave girls so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of abraham's wife sarah ask that the lord would bless the reading of his word
5: will you take your red hymnal this time and turn to number 562 562 in the red
2: Boy, that was a hymn we haven't sung in a long time. Our scripture text is Genesis chapter 20. In our last session together, we studied Lot's legacy, what the man was last known for, which was not very commendable. Living alone with his two daughters in a mountain cave, he had come to the end of his rope financially and morally. His house, his ranch, his livestock, his wealth, his position in Sodom as a judge all ended when God rained burning sulfur on the cities of the plains. He even lost his wife because she disobeyed God by looking back at the destruction. Afraid to live in Zor, Lot along with his two daughters made a makeshift homestead in a mountain cave. He went from poverty to debauchery because his daughters plied him with wine, got him drunk, lay with him, and became pregnant so that they could preserve the family line. There was no trust in God in all this. They were just doing their thing. Lot was not conscious enough to know what had happened, but he was responsible for getting drunk. So he shared in the sin of his daughters, though unintentionally. The result was two nations emerged from Lot's daughters, the progenitors of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Both people groups in time who became the avowed enemies of abraham's descendants the israelites boy things we do have consequences don't they i mean they reach out and you think well, what what could possibly go wrong and let me tell you what could possibly go wrong everything could possibly go wrong but it only takes one or two things to really mess things up. And that's what happened here. We drew out four lessons. If we would but listen and learn from the scriptures, God's will, we would avoid the school of hard knocks. We would avoid it. Two, the immoral behavior of Lot's daughters was unwittingly taught to them by their father, remember this, who offered them to the Sodomites to save his house guests. Well, they weren't stupid. They figured that out. Dad doesn't much care about us. So what we do doesn't matter. Number three, we learn no matter how low a person goes on the ladder of degradation, there's always one rung lower. We looked at the account in 1 Corinthians 5 where incest was found among God's people. then finally we learn, and this is the most important thing to learn, there is mercy in God's warnings when they're heeded. Now today we want to consider the saying, what goes around comes around, as we study Abraham's repeated sin, and what I am calling the second time around. So as we come to our study, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Lord, there's a lot of Abraham in each one of us. And I don't mean necessarily the good part, though that's there too. But his failures, we can identify with. And by identified, we're not picking on him. We mean that, oh, we can see those things in us as well. And I I hope that that's an eye-opener, but I also hope that it will Lead us to do the righteous things that sometimes Abraham did not do. But nevertheless, he is portrayed in the scripture as Father Abraham, as the one who is the model for us, or one of the human models of righteous living that we have to em- emulate. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but nonetheless a righteous man, made righteous by the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, in our times of sin to remember Abraham and others like him and that we can have victory over our intentions, our sinful intentions, if we will but look to your grace and to your mercy. May Jesus find that to be true of us because he grants it to us is a gift from him. I pray that we will exercise that gift wisely in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at the subject the second time around. If you look at our text. Abraham's whirlwind experience In the space of a few days and weeks. Beginning back in chapter 17. God instructed Abraham to inaugurate the sign of the covenant. Which was circumcision. He was to do that on himself and Ishmael. And all the male servants of his household. To which he complied immediately. Good for him. But also in that chapter. God reiterated his covenant with Abraham. And he promised this. My covenant will I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Chapter 17, verse 21. So if we explore the timeline a little bit here, we discover chapter 18, three visitors show up at Abraham's tent with both Abraham and Sarah making haste to provide their guests with food and lodging. Remember that? And Sarah is informed that she will bear a son to Abraham in her old age within the year, chapter 18, verse 12, causing Sarah to laugh laugh at the notion that she would become a mother in her advanced age. Just seems such an impossibility. Next, also in chapter 18, the Lord disclosed to Abraham that he was about to destroy Sodom because, let me read it for you, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so
6: great and their sin so grievous. Chapter 18, verse 20.
2: While the two death angels traveled Abraham reasoned with the Lord not to destroy the city if, if, but ten righteous people could be found there. Chapter 18, verse 32. You know he was thinking about his nephew, Lot, who lived there. He thought, ah, ten, let's see, ten, yeah, we ought to be able to come up with at least ten. My nephew's one of them and his family and so forth. So that's how he came up with that number. Next, when the death angels arrived in Sodom, they became the house guests of Lot, but things went from bad to worse. When the Sodomites tried to break the door down to Lot's house to forcibly rape the two men that they had seen enter Lot's abode. But God's providential watch care over those Sodomites They were strictly blind, blinded, thus preventing them from finding the door to crash in and assault Lot and his family. Chapter 19, verse 11. The next day, the death angels urged Lot to warn any of his relatives living in the city, which he did try to do, warn them about what? Well, God was going to destroy that city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. (laughs) Boy, Lot, that's a good one. (laughs) You got another one there? They thought he was joking. He then fled Sodom, because what else was he going to do? He fled Sodom himself with his wife and with his two daughters. But he lost his wife, because she turned around to take one last look at the city she loved. And for that disobedience, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Chapter 19, verse 26. Instead of fleeing to the hills, as God had directed, the next thing Lot did is he bargained with the angels to flee to the little town of Zor, Z-O-A-R, a small and insignificant city in the plains, which God spared from destruction for the sake of Abraham. Chapter 19, verse 29. Well, Lot finally did move to the mountains. He lived in a cave with his two daughters, but they plied him with wine and he got him drunk and they lay with him each, becoming pregnant by their father, a terrible thing and producing offspring who later historically became enemies of Israel, Abraham's true descendants, the Moabites and the Ammonites, arch enemies of Israel. Boy, think of the consequences of disobedience, how they pile up. Now all of this brings us to chapter 20, verse 1, which reads, Now Abraham moved... On from there into the region of the Negev. Yeah, that's true. But what I want you to see is that a year has not transpired as yet. So Sarah has not given birth yet, which does not transpire until chapter 21. And Abraham settled in Gerar, verse 1. That's the capital city of the Philistines, ruled by King Abimelech, verse 2. Verse one tells us that he stayed there for a while, Abraham. He stayed there for a while. So what I'm saying is that within less than a year Abraham and Sarah have been host to three house guests. They have learned of Sarah's upcoming pregnancy within a year. They pleaded for Lot to be spared from the destruction of Sodom. They observed the overthrow of the cities of Sodom and of the plain states, chapter nine, verse twenty eight. They experienced the preservation of Lot, chapter 19, verse 21. They packed up and moved all their livestock, all their belongings, to Gerar, chapter 20, verse 1. And they settled in the Negev, which means the south country. All of that in less than a year. say, well, pastor, what's your point? Well, my point is this. I've heard... I've heard believers complain that life in our day is extremely intense so that we hardly have time to think. They've used that expression, let alone maintain our spiritual equilibrium. That is to say, we use our busyness to excuse our involvement in God's work. We reference the fast pace of our lives, raising children, going to work, being involved in civic duties, keeping up on the news, health issues, interacting with the family, and then there's the yard work, the housework, the garden work, the auto repair work. Tired get tired just thinking about it all. And we conclude, hey, there's just no time left for spiritual enrichment and interaction with other believers. The worship service, the prayer service, the Sunday night fellowship, casual occasions, get together, and so on. Granted Granted, emergencies and the unexpected do occur, but life is just not one ongoing, never-ending emergency. And I don't see how we are any more busy than Abraham and Sarah and all that they went through. What I have learned is that we all make time for the things we love to do. We make time for that. We carve out of our day or week or months time to relax or to just do some things that we love. So beginning at the beginning is one thing that we need to do and think things through. One day a teacher of the law asked Jesus which of the commandments was the greatest. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Mark 12, verse 29 and following. Note the extensive energy piled up in this text. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, 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 oh. God is telling us he's not taking second place to everything you and I may have in our lives. We're to love him first. We're to love him foremost. We're to love him with all that we are, and all that we can be. And this is so unequivocal, that Paul lays out the consequences for failure. He says, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Whoa, and that was said to the Corinthians. He goes on, Come, O Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus... Be with you, my love to all of you, in Christ Jesus, amen. You Corinthians, I'm telling you right now, curse be on you if you don't love the Lord. He's telling them, take time to live out your love for God. It is going to require some time. But you need to do that. We need to hear that. It's the constant thing that I hear all the time as a pastor. Well, pastor, I am I meant to do such and such, but I'm just so busy. You know how it is. Yes, I'm busy too. We're all very busy. But I just can't see me standing before the Lord someday and saying, you know, Lord, I would have done that, I would have gotten into that, but oh, I was just so busy. You think that's going to fly? I don't think so. Secondly, Abraham repeated an ongoing sin. Oh, wow. Verse 2. There, that is at Gerar, where he's at, land of the Philistines, there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah, and he took her. Whoa. Where have we read something similar of Abraham? Chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a great famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, Oh, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they're going to let you live. Say, you are my sister. So that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. On that particular occasion, God inflicted terrible diseases on the Egyptians until Pharaoh released Sarah and sent her and Abram on their way. So here in our text, we're not given all the details, but we can surmise that the precedent is pretty much the same. Abraham, in fear of his life, told the inhabitants of the Negev, She's my sister. And being the beauty she was, it wasn't long before King Abimelech sent and conscripted Sarah to become his wife. These guys don't mess around. (laughs) They see a beautiful woman. This is the day when they had harems, multiple wives. Oh, sister, she's fair game. Now think about this. What a gorgeous woman Sarah must have been. She must have been a knockout beautiful woman. Now we have a saying. We say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But let's face it, everywhere Sarah traveled, the men of the area took one look at her and they wanted to have Sarah as their wife part of their harem. And she's 89 years old in our text. They have been led to believe that Sarah was available, that is not married, not betrothed, but a sister of the man she was with. Why not approach her to become your bride? And if you're a king like Abimelech, you don't ask. You just send your servants to go out there, verse 2, and take her. Bring her into the palace. What on earth possessed Abraham to repeat the same sin he had committed in Egypt with Pharaoh? Likely, it was fear all over again. Fear of his own life being snuffed out so that the pagans could have his wife for themselves. The text doesn't say that, but I think that's probably what's going on. Brethren, fear of men plagues most of us. It does. Especially when it comes to losing one's own life. The enemy counts on fear to be its best ally if not fear of death, fear of imprisonment, or fear of torture, so that we will forfeit our love for God to protect our own skin or our family members whom we love. Fear does that. Paul put it this way. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and he cares for it just as Christ does the church. Ephesians five twenty-eight. So he's saying that we are so self-absorbed that we will do go to great lengths to preserve our own lives. And then Paul uses that innate love of self to say, husbands ought to love their wives as they already do, love their own bodies. That's the point he's making. Well, Abraham failed in his love for Sarah, and he had done this before. But you know there's a failure that is worse than that, and that's failing to love God more than life itself. Paul recognized this in himself, saying to the Ephesian brethren, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints and pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Ephesians 6, (coughs) verse 17 and following. Can you believe this? Does this mean that Paul had a problem With the fear of men? Yeah, I think so. He's like Abraham, like me, like most of us. We're not as bold as King David, who said, The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, and He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 118, verse 6 and following. That was David. Now intellectually we know this, don't we? We know it's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in men. But when the enemy is knocking at your door with handcuffs to incarcerate you and weapons if you resist, it's not so easy to trust that all will be well in the end because, after all, God will just have to intercede. But the question is in the back of our minds. And I think Satan brings it to the forefront of our minds. What if God does not intercede? What if he does not rescue me? Brethren, this is where the battle begins, in the mind and in the heart. And more often than not, we cave into our fears So Paul says, pray for one another. Pray for me, says Paul. I say the same thing. You should pray for me as the pastor and for the elders and the deacons and our teachers and our youth workers and pray for yourself that in the hour of trial, we will not disown Christ. We need to be so sound, so secure in our faith that we can say with the three Hebrew children, In the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, go ahead, throw me into the fiery ovens. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, oh, you thought I was through. (laughs) No, there's more. This is the best part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set up. Daniel 3, verse 16 and final. Talk about boldness. But brethren, such boldness, such confidence in the face of certain danger is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. And by the way, the way it works is this. You get the gift only when you face the trial. don't look hypothetically at life and say boy if that were me I, I don't think I I don't think I could handle that I think I'd deny Christ you don't get the gift of strength till the hour of trial I commend to you a little book it's about half inch thick. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. So What in the world? Yeah, it's a historical account of the ages and those people, Christians in faith and practice, who were shown the option of disowning Christianity and Christ or pay the price. And by pay the price burning at the stake, being stretched out on the rack. You know, all the torture tools of, of what men can come up with. And what is interesting to see is that some of them, in the hour of trial, they, they, they fainted. That is, just, they backed down, they, they recanted their faith. And and then they couldn't stand it any, any longer. They took back the recant. They recanted the recant. Is that original thought? You can stick it in your ear. Uh, We're going to stand with Christ, whether you like it or not. And they paid the price. What happened? God, in the hour of trial, gave them strength. So you don't have to sit here today and say, well. you know, I wonder if it ever came to that in our country, and by the way, it is that way in other countries. If it came that way in our country, I don't know why. Yes, you can. If you're a true believer, God will see to it that you are. And Paul put it this way, you know, to be absent from the body, what's that? That's to be present with the Lord. It's It's a hair's breath away. Secondly, consider God's intervention for Sarah. God took two actions here. Number one, verse three. God came to Abimelech in dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead. Wow. You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken She is a married woman. Talk about instilling the fear of God in someone. You there, Mr. Dead dead Man, listen up. Whoa, that would rattle my bones. This is worse than old Morley's ghost appearing to Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) I mean, there are different spirits who may be spooky, but then there's God Almighty Who is utterly. King Abimelech obviously knew the difference. Oh boy. Verse 4. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, meaning Sarah. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She's my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? and clean hands
7: <laughs> and God concurred. that is why I did not let you touch her turn her you may be
6: sure That you and all yours. So the first intercession by
2: God for Sarah was that he kept Abimelech from following through with his intent to make Sarah his wife. The next morning Abimelech informed all of his officials what had transpired in the night. And Abraham was called upon to give an account as to why he did what he did. And he responded essentially with the same excuse he had given Pharaoh years before. Verse 11. I reasoned that there was no fear of God in this place. So that's what I did,
6: why I did what I did. No reverence, no love for God. And I thought they will kill me because of my...
7: And notice a little tidbit of... Besides,
2: the daughter of my father that would be Tibra, though not of my mother and she became my wife just a, just a little justification there but brethren that was the truth at last that he gave Jesus put it this way you shall know the truth the truth will set you free John 8 verse 32 that flees us from the lies of Satan but it is also correct that truth itself
7: to live with in our crooked and wicked world it
2: function on the basis that you have been told the truth. When Abimelech heard Abraham's explanation, he knew instantly that it was the truth. He proceeded to set Abraham and Sarah free, showering them with gifts, verse 14, telling them to choose anywhere in his domain to live, verse 15, wherever you like, he said. This is the first intervention on behalf of Sarah. But there's a second intervention that God did on behalf of Sarah to bring about her release. And it states in 18, the Lord closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. You know, a nation can ill survive if the wives in the land are all barren. No babies.
6: To conception shows that he is very much involved in procreation and the offer. of what Solomon asserts in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his
7: and
2: following Psalm 127.
6: The scandal of Planned Parenthood aborting late term so they can dissect and sell their body parts for profit ought to make the blood
2: that their angels in heaven always
6: see the face of the Father in heaven. Every child born to mankind on earth is God's child before it becomes their child. Is the murder of God's children, which he takes very seriously. By the way, abortion's back in the news again. Why? Because they're ta- talking now about taking a full child in pregnancy, delivered now, putting it in a jar, and setting it on the shelf. Now, they've been doing this secretly, privately, for years. But now they're making a
7: policy
6: to bless this, which sinful men will probably do. Protected her and he protected Abraham from Abimelech's intentions by interceding on her behalf.
7: He stepped
6: for Abraham and Sarah. Now, there are several lessons that God has for us love for God, which is the hallmark trait.
2: In God's people still needs to be nurtured. However, is found only in God. What is found in us is imperfect love. John Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. 1 John 4 verse 18. This was Abraham before Pharaoh. It was Abraham before Abimelech. You know, he's shaking. He was fearful that his life would be
6: forfeit if these pagan kings found out that Sarah was his wife and not a sister. I, I will trust God to do what's right by me, regardless of the consequences. We're often not any better, but we can become better. That's the point.
2: Pope says, "Get rid of all bitterness." brawling and slander along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you, be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 4 verse 31 and following. Live a life of love. Do we speak to one another as men and women engrafted in Christ the vine as equal in the family of God? Loved by him, bound for glory with great hosts of other loved
6: sinners? Having a hidden bite to our words instead of thanksgiving, instead of grace.
2: Well, none of us are perfected in love yet, but I think this must be our goal. It has to be the mark of true God's true people in what Jesus taught. I have loved you, so you must love one
6: another. You love one another, John thirteen, verse thirty-four and thirty-five. It's a qualifying
2: Peter indicates that such love must grow, it must improve. He says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. He's saying, I know you love one another. Okay, but pursue it. Go deeper in your love for one another. Find ways to demonstrate that. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Nourish your love for God and love one another deeply. A second truth to learn here is this, that besetting sins plague the most faithful of believers. Let me say that again. Besetting sins plague the most faithful of believers. How come we keep doing the same sinful things over and over again. That's my question to God all the time. Lord, we're back here at the prayer bench again. And I know you're tired of hearing this. And I pray the same prayer I prayed yesterday or the day before. How's come we keep coming back with the same sinful things. Can we blame sin on the environment? Can we say, well, in heaven we will not sin. Really? Have we forgotten what happened in heaven? Satan rebelled against God and tried to overthrow his domain. But it was God who expelled him and along with him a third of the angelic hosts who sided with Satan. We forget that. A third of the angel population. What happened in Eden, the garden paradise of God? Another perfect place. Were Adam and Eve preserved sinless because they lived in a perfect environment without sin? To be sinless and to have the ability to live a holy life is not due to the environment. This being so, dying and going to heaven will not solve your sin problem. What then, if anything, keeps us from sinning and repeating the same sins? John tells us, he writes, No one who lives in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. 1 John Three, verse 6 through 9. Boy, that's a lot to swallow, isn't it? To try to understand what John is saying. When we sin or repeat a sin as Abraham, we are for that moment more a child of the devil than of God because Satan is the author of sin and we have reverted to his playground. In reality, however... In reality, we are born of God and his seed remains in us. We know this to be the fact because John states it categorically to be true. But how can we know it experientially? That's our problem. How can we know what that God's seed, his nature is in us? We know it by assessing our reaction to sin. If you're a true believer today, what is the reaction to sin? Well, we hate sin. We are disgusted that we failed our Savior again. We do not excuse it. We do not applaud it. We do not dismiss it as insignificant. No. No. We run to Christ in confession and repentance and faith, believing as we are taught by God himself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 verse 9. So our position before God is born of God and God's seed remains in us. 1 John 3, verse 9. This plays out, among other ways, in loving God's law because the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Romans 7, verse 12. It is representative of God's character, whereas everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, verse 4. So we have a different attitude towards sin than the world. Non-believers, indeed unbelievers, care nothing about obedience to God. Nor do they concern themselves with sin. They don't. When asked by a reporter if he had ever asked God for forgiveness, President Trump said, I'm not sure I have. He went on, I just go on and I try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. I, I, I think if I do something wrong, I think I I just try to make it right. I, I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. End quote. I'm not saying that to pick on our president I think he's a good leader as sinners go but he's also indicative of every sinner that doesn't know God well not every sinner because some sinners don't give a rip if they sin but those with a conscience say well Yeah, boy, I messed up. I'll just try to do better the next time. That's the way the people of the world think. I'll try not to repeat that. Brethren, even in his disobedience, Abraham as a believer was the conduit whereby Abimelech was forgiven and restored. I want you to get that point. Verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his slave girls, so that he could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Genesis 20 verse 17 and 18. Abraham's a sinner. He is, just like all of us. But he's a believer. He's gone to the right place to have his sins forgiven. And they are forgiven. And so... When Abimelech is broached by Abraham, Abraham is given the honor, if we could say it that way, of praying for Abimelech to reverse all the judgments that God brought upon his house. And you see, God must be brought into the picture. He must be. When sin is the issue, there's healing and there's restoration. No other way. Abraham became Abimelech's conduit to God because Abimelech did not know God. Think about this. He would not have known how to bring correction to the curse of God on the, woman of his king, the women of his kingdom who were all barren now. I say, well, pastor, what's your point? My point is this. For all of our failures, and they are many, for all of our failures as Christians, for all of our hypocrisy, for all of our sin, for all the times when we have said or done things that were wrong, it still remains that we are redeemed people who know God and, more importantly, are known by God, owned by him. And we sinning believers know how to point sinners to God to intercede for you who do not know God. We have been where you are, angry, lost, defiant, opposed to God and godly living, but God found us, God changed us. And we can pray that same change for you and do. James, the brother of our Lord, the half-brother of our Lord, put it this way, James 5, verse 10. Verse 20, excuse me. James 5, verse 20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. We, brethren, Lord, who know the Lord... Must be convinced in our hearts that our prayers are what touch the heart of God. If we were convinced of that, I think prayer meeting service would have a lot more people here. We would realize that if we really want our loved ones to be saved, that don't know the Lord, if we want our children, grandchildren to be saved, we need to be people of prayer. It doesn't matter that they expect that. We should expect that. We should know that. God is listening to us. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. It's just the fact that we are his children. Don't fathers listen to their children? Well, they do. And the scripture says that God is our father. Not in some political way that the charismatic people use it or the liberal church uses it. We're all the children of God. No, we're not. We're all the creatures of God. But the children are those who believe in His Son and have trusted Him. You've got to have a child that knows God to pray. Maybe do that on Wednesday night, but also, I hope, through the week. So Abraham became the conduit for Abimelech's sinful actions and behavior to bring about a rectification for the judgment that God had put on his house. You're the conduit for your family, your relatives, your children, your grandchildren. Let us be about the work of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. How precious it is, and it puts a it just just puts the uh, responsibility right on our shoulders. We can't get away from it. We need to be men and women of prayer. It's our prayers that are touching the heart of God. It's our prayers that stir people to in our hearts to pray for them. They won't even pray for themselves because they don't think they've done anything wrong. So how are they going to come to know Christ? It's going to take us praying. It's going to take us encouraging them to hear the word of God. It's going to take us giving them the word of God by way of a Bible quote or a gospel track or a cassette of a message that is important for them to hear or getting them out to church to hear the word of God. the world is passing by and we are the light of the world, Jesus taught. But if we take the light and we hide it under a bushel, no one will see it and there'll be no produce that benefits. Lord, let our lights so shine before men that they will hear the gospel and see it. Repent and believe. This we ask for your glory and their good and for our responsibilities to be fulfilled. In Christ's name, amen. Our closing hymn... 568 in Trinity. 568 in the red... of trial we must rely upon you not our own stability not our own strength not our own faith it's not our own faith faith is the gift of God saving faith is the gift of God but we cannot conceive that you would bring us into the hour of trial just to watch us be defeated and cast into hells torments forever when we have through our life, have placed our faith and hope in Jesus' blood and righteousness, and the cross has paid for our iniquity. So let those truths sink into us. And we will go through trials, and we will be tempted to deny Christ, and we will be tempted to be slipshod and lazy in our faith and in giving forth the gospel and living it in front of our neighbors and friends and relatives. But Lord, the blood of Christ covers even those sins. Grant us, Lord, the happy reflection of repentance, coming back to God and seeing your smiling face upon us once more. Help us to see that. Salvation from start to the very bitter end is all of God's grace. And it's not a little bit of grace and a little bit of our own doing. No, it's all of grace. And you have promised to love us. You put us in your family and your household. And you are going to see to it that we make it all the way to the pearly gates. And for that we praise you and we thank you. Dear Jesus, amen. We are dismissed.